blessing to be back tonight. And uh, we're going to begin a series tonight on the Holy Spirit. So, as we begin that study, there will be some introductory remarks regarding the Holy Spirit, some things that we need to know. Um, this is kind of an overview or an introduction to the Holy Spirit. But this is one of the biblical topics over which there is a lot of disagreement among those who profess to be Christians. And if you've got your ears tuned to what other people are saying in the religious world, you know that already. You know there's a lot of questions, a lot of uh, just wrong teaching about the Holy Spirit. But we're going to be interested in what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? With the rise of mysticism, emotionalism, and people just wanting to do what they want to do, many have ascribed things to the Holy Spirit that we should know from a study of Scripture that should not be ascribed to Him. We need, again, to accept what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Many profess to be able to do miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. Many profess divine revelation. The Holy Spirit is still revealing the will of God to people personally. I remember several years ago, and I've given this illustration before, Oral Roberts walking across the stage preaching about one thing, and then all of a sudden stops, puts his hand up to his ears, and tilts his ear towards heaven and says, What was that you said, Lord? Oh, you want people to give me $10 million. <laughs> that wasn't the Holy Spirit telling him that. And if you study your Bible, you'll know that. Um, many people profess to have spiritual contact and direct faith, direct leading, direct intuition into what is right or wrong. Miraculous uh, regeneration, miraculous guiding, miraculous intuition. In fact, it's interesting when you read some of the things that are out there. For example, you can read from Pentecostal preachers and teachers about the Holy Spirit working miracles and speaking in tongues and all those things. And then you hear a Calvinist and you listen to what a Calvinist says. For example, John MacArthur has a book out. It's called Strange Fire. And in that book of Strange Fire, he tackles the, um, the Pentecostal movement, the charismatic movement. And he points out how what they are saying and what they are doing is not according to the Bible. And does a pretty good job of it, by the way. Uh, John MacArthur can... Teach the truth on some things. But then he turns right around and being a Calvinist, he believes that you have, a, have to have a miraculous working of the Holy Spirit on your heart in order for you to be able to know the truth to begin with and to be saved. The Holy Spirit has to miraculously regenerate you in order for you to even listen to what God has to say. Otherwise, you can't understand it. So he has miracles too. There are a lot of things taught about the Holy Spirit that we need to understand that uh, from a biblical scriptural perspective. Uh, here's a picture of a whole bunch of, of teachers, preachers. Uh, some of them have been discredited. 
but there is one thing that they all do have in common. Well, actually, there are several things they all have in common. Uh, one of those things being they're all false teachers. And I don't hesitate to say that. I do not hesitate to say that at all. There's a fellow, see him right there. That fellow I was watching one time kicked a man in the head, almost broke his neck. Kicked a man in the head trying to heal him of some deformity that he had. And uh, he, that's what he would do. He would beat people up when they would come up on the stage. Something else. John Bentley, I think, was his name. And then you've got, you've got Kenneth Copeland. Or not, that's not Kenneth Copeland. That's, that's Copeland, though. What's that his name? Is that Kenneth? I think that is Kenneth Copeland. You've got John Hagee. You've got uh, Michael, uh, what's his name right there? And Joyce Myers, Benny Hinn, Joel Olstein, all these people up here. They're all teaching, claiming that the Holy Spirit is leading them and guiding them and telling them things. But yet they all teach different things. How is that possible? If they are indeed being led by the Holy Spirit. Well, there is an objective standard by which we can measure. And find out whether someone is teaching the truth or not. And I want you to do this for me. I want you to take your Bible and I want you to examine what I have to say from God's Word, from the Holy Spirit's testimony. And see what the Holy Spirit Himself has to say. All of these teachers have something in common. And that is, they all claim to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Yet you have some of them denying the deity of Jesus Christ. You have some of them denying the Holy Spirit being a person himself, but that he's just some impersonal being. There are some of them that are one that's Pentecostal, so the Holy Spirit is just a manifestation of the Father. So you've got different people teaching different things. Even Gnostics claimed to have the Holy Spirit in the days of John. They claimed that they were enlightened by the Holy Spirit. And of course, John says, no, 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 no. No, you test them by what we have said, the apostles. You test the spirits, he says, in 1 John 4 and verse 1. Now, there was a standard. What have we already told you? That was the standard. You know, Mormons kind of throw the lasso out a little bigger here. Mormons claim to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Joseph Smith claimed to be guided by the Holy Spirit. They claim to speak in tongues just like the Pentecostals do. They claim to have the Holy Spirit. Do you think that's true? My friend, if they do have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is leading them, then we need to become Mormons. I'll tell you that, but I, I'm convinced, I know for a fact that's not the case. Catholics, the Pope claims to be you know, the representative of Jesus Christ, the vicar of Christ on earth, and thus directly inspired and guided by the Holy Spirit when he speaks. And you have the Quakers and Shakers, Mother Ann Lee, this was years and years ago, but she claimed to have the Holy Spirit, and so you've got all these you know, people jerking in the, the kind of the beginning of the charismatic movement. You have Seventh-day Adventist, Ellen G. White, who claimed to have visions of God and the Holy Spirit guiding her. And so she taught that you have to keep the Sabbath day and the law of Moses. Was that the Holy Spirit telling her that? Which, by the way, contradicts what the Apostle Paul himself taught in 
several passages, Ephesians 2.19. You've got Colossians 2, verses 13 through 16. You've got the whole book of Hebrews, the book of Galatians. Uh, no, she did not teach the truth. Or Charles Taze Russell, Jehovah Witnesses. They deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was a created being. He was an angel. You have Christian science. You have the Worldwide Church of God, H. Herbert Armstrong. Or the first Pentecostal church right here in Little Rock and other Pentecostal churches. Pastor Holmes has been there, I guess, for years. I guess he's still there. I don't know. But you've got all these people teaching different things. Is the Holy Spirit working among all these groups who are teaching such contrasting doctrines? On what basis would you discredit the Mormons for what they teach? They claim to be guided by the Holy Spirit. How can a charismatic, a Pentecostal, rebuke and correct and expose the errors of Mormonism? How can they do that? Because the Mormons say, well, I got the Spirit. You know, it's kind of like that old cheer in school. You remember one, one section, well, we got the Spirit. Yes, we do. We've got the Spirit. How about you? And the other side will do the same thing. Uh, that's not the way it works. On what basis do you, do you discredit the claims of any of these groups? Here is a statement, and this is a book. This has been out for several years. The Holy Spirit in You by Derek Prince. Derek Prince explains the ways of the Holy Spirit and how he works in the lives of Christians. Through this power, the believer can know the continual presence of Jesus, better understand the plans of God, become a bold witness for Christ, acquire revelation, receive supernatural direction, pray according to God's will and receive physical healing and endurance, includes a discussion on speaking in tongues. You've got to be taught how to do that. Learn more about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's just one of many books that are out there on the Holy Spirit. Written by men such as Billy Graham or Benny Hinn. Uh, you've got Perry Stone who wrote a, the book, The Code of the Holy Spirit. You've got to be able to decipher the correct code in order to understand all this stuff. Or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the subjects that we will deal with specifically in our series what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I will assure you, if you take just what the Bible teaches about the subject, you're going to realize it's not what most people believe and teach about it. Again, I'm not interested in really in what other people are teaching. I want to know what the Bible says about it. What does the Bible teach? That is what we're going to be after. The Holy Spirit will not guide people to believe and teach different or conflicting doctrines. The Holy Spirit is going to teach the truth. And the truth does not contradict itself. The Holy Spirit is not going to teach men to teach different doctrines contrary to the Word of God. Such as teaching that denies the deity of Jesus Christ. Or to teach that men are directly and miraculously regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Or Calvinism, that God just elected a certain few and those are the ones to whom... He gives the Spirit. Or the Holy Spirit is not going to teach men to perform acts contrary to or different from the Word of God. 
There was a charismatic group in Canada many years ago, and this was, and may still be, on Brother Steve Rudd's website. Now, if you don't know who Brother Steve Rudd is, he's, he's a gospel preacher and archaeologist that lives in Canada. He's got an excellent website, Bible.ca. He's got just tons and tons of material. And he's got an entire section on the charismatic movement. One of those videos that he had up years ago was about this meeting that took place in Canada where this woman was preaching, if you want to call it that. And she was screaming and the band was playing and she had on a dress, come down to about her knees. And she got caught up in what they were calling the left leg anointing. You ever heard of that? I didn't think so. The left leg anointing where she would kick up her left leg as high as she could, and everybody in front of her would fall down like a bunch of dominoes. And she got to doing that, and she got to doing that some more, and eventually she fell down on the floor, exposing herself, throwing her leg around, and everybody just you know, going crazy. That's supposed to be the Holy Spirit? Uh-uh. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, or the fruit of the Holy Spirit, one of the characteristics of that fruit is what? Self-control. Not that mess. The Holy Spirit is very misunderstood by the religious world. In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33, the Apostle Paul writes, By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. And by the way, that is in the context where the miraculous gifts were being discussed and the Corinthians were getting the instruction on how they were to exercise those miraculous gifts. And one of the most important points that Paul made in that context was this. There has to be decency and order. And my friend, if you don't have decency and order, certainly you're not following the Holy Spirit. When people start jumping up and jumping from pew to pew, yelling and screaming, and everybody's running around like they've lost their minds, you can rest assured that's not the Holy Spirit. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. He doesn't teach different doctrines. You see, error will contradict error. If you've got someone telling you a lie, you know, eventually, you're going to catch them in that lie. You know why? Because eventually they're going to tell you something that's going to contradict what they already have previously said. That's how people get caught. And when you talk about false doctrine, first and foremost, you'll realize that it does eventually contradict itself. We were in a debate in Charlotte, North Carolina on the subject of, of election, debating Steve, Steve Garrett. Bruce Reeves was debating Stephen Garrett. And, um, of course, Mr. Garrett throughout the debate was just trying to teach his Calvinistic doctrine of how God predetermines and selects those who would be saved. He does that. God, God alone is sovereign, has the right to select the individual. And then God gives that person the spirit. We don't have free will. He argued that all week. On Thursday night, he said, he, he got up because he was kind of frustrated with Bruce because Bruce kept going back to Romans chapter 9 and explaining from Romans 9 how Mr. Garrett had 
had taken that out of context and misused it. And, and so finally Mr. Garrett just got up and he was frustrated and he said, Don't change God's word, change yourself. Now, all right, if you don't understand, Calvinism does not believe you can change yourself. In order to change, God has to change you. You don't do that for yourself. You don't have free will, you see. So how does that exactly work? We called him out on that, and he didn't say that anymore because he realized that was a contradiction. Error will contradict the truth. Always does. Always will. Truth will not contradict itself. Now, here's the thing about truth. Truth is going to be consistent. Truth is going to hold its course throughout your study. If it's true, then you're not going to find anything in the Word of God that's going to contradict it. Nor are you going to find anything in the Word of God that's going to be different. You're going to find that truth always is harmonious with itself. It fits with itself. Error will contradict error. Error certainly contradicts truth, but truth never contradicts itself. So if we're going to find out what the truth is about the Holy Spirit, we need to go to the source of truth. And the source of truth is not what anybody has written in a book other than the Bible. You're not going to find it in any sermon that a man preaches except an inspired man in the Bible unless that preacher is simply telling you what that inspired man said. We need to go to the inspired source. We need to go to the Word of God. It is the validated, objective, and inspired revelation of God. The scriptures were given by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. Now the scriptures were given by the inspiration of God, by His Holy Spirit as we read in the scripture reading earlier. And so when men were moved by the Holy Spirit, they wrote, by the way, when the Apostle Peter talks about, in 2 Peter chapter 1, when he points out that no passage or no scripture is of any private interpretation, understand, he's not saying that you have to have the Holy Spirit so that you can interpret it. That is not anywhere in the context. The point is, in order for the men of old to write the things of God, they had to be inspired. They did not write down their own interpretation of what they were given. They wrote down what they were given. This whole context is about the inspiration and the recording of God's Word. Let me go back and read that again in verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, First, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. That word literally means source. For prophecy never came by the will of men, but, what, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't from themselves. God inspired them. And they wrote those things. Now, the word of the Holy Spirit then would be the only reliable source and may I say to you that the words of the Holy Spirit are indeed the only reliable source of information concerning him the only 
source for knowing truth at all is going to be God's Word, okay? But especially when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the only verified, valid, objective source to know the truth about the Holy Spirit is what the Holy Spirit says of Himself. That's it. And the Word of God is from the Holy Spirit. Brother Elmer Moore um, used to debate, uh, and he's writ written a couple of books himself on the Holy Spirit, but Brother Moore debated Pentecostals, especially Oneness Pentecostals, for years. And I had the privilege of working with Brother Moore um, in Conway in a debate that Bruce had there. And uh, Bruce was debating uh, a Oneness Pentecostal. Brother Elmer Moore told me, and I actually heard him say this many times before this, before I worked with him. He, he came and held a gospel meeting in Pine Bluff, and he taught a series of lessons on the Holy Spirit. And he said, the only thing that you can trust about the Holy Spirit, the only thing that you can believe about the Holy Spirit, is what the Holy Spirit has said about himself. And all these other guys out here don't know what they're talking about. And he was right. We need to turn to the Holy Spirit himself to find out the truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. When you talk about instruction for righteousness, when you talk about doctrine, the scripture gives you everything you need. You don't need something extra. You've got it in the scripture. The Holy Spirit has revealed everything you need, everything you need to know all the truth. You've got it all. In fact, John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus tells his apostles that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and he would guide them into all truth. My friend, that doesn't leave any truth to be revealed to all Roberts or Benny Hinn or anyone else. The Holy Spirit revealed all the truth to the apostles. They wrote those things down so that we can have them. We have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness in the scriptures. 2 Peter 1 and verse 3. Jude in verse 3 says, I found, back up, I switched too soon. I found it necessary to write to you exhorting, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. That is the gospel. That is the message that was preached and presented. Earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. This message, this gospel has once and for all been delivered. It's not going to come out a little bit here and a little bit there down through time. It was given to the apostles and they preached it and they wrote it. Listen to Paul in Ephesians 3 and verse 3 beginning. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. The Holy Spirit was revealing these things to the apostles and to the prophets. They then preached those things. They then wrote those things down by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So when I read what Paul wrote, then I can understand the mystery. 
I can understand his knowledge in that mystery. Because the Holy Spirit revealed it to him and he wrote it down for me to read and understand. In 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, listen to what Paul says there. That you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. That none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. Listen, it's not what you get, it's not what you get, it's what was written. We need to, not, we need to learn not to think beyond what is written. You know what the biggest cause for religious division is in our day. My friend, it's not really what God has said, although there's some disagreement about that. But the biggest disagreements in the area of disagreements is where God has not spoken. It's what God has not said. That's where people disagree. For example, when you just talk about the Holy Spirit, there's no question that the Holy Spirit indwells the Christian. There's no question that the Holy Spirit leads the Christian. There is no question that the Holy Spirit is involved in you and your conversion and your Christian life. No question that the Holy Spirit strengthens you in the inner man. There's no question that the Holy Spirit does any of these things. The only question is, how does He do it? Now many people then suppose, well, He does it this way and He does it that way. But what we need to do is look at the Scripture and find out how He does it according to Himself. And that's what we're going to do in this study. But we need to learn not to think beyond what is written. The inspired revelation of the Holy Spirit was supernatural, verbal, and final. There is no place for more divine instruction. And we need to be satisfied with what the Spirit has said about Himself and other other things. In 2 Peter 1, 14 and 15 again, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. How did Peter do that? How did people, Peter ensure that the brethren would have a reminder of these things after his decease? He wrote them down for them. So they could go back and they could read them. And then you have the sovereignty of God to preserve these things all the way down to our day. We have the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's talk for just a minute about the word spirit itself. I think that a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit centers around the word itself because there is a lot of confusion about the word spirit. It comes from the Greek word pneuma. Pneuma, which primarily denotes the wind. This, this is from Vine's Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament words. Pneuma primarily denotes the wind, or to breathe, to blow. Also breath, and especially the spirit, which, like the wind, is invisible, immaterial, and powerful. The New Testament uses, uses of the word may be analyzed approximately as follows. Now notice all of the different ways this one little word is used in your Bible. This is Old and New Testament. But this term, this pneuma, and I say Old Testament, I'm talking about the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament Hebrew. But this word pneuma is used in a lot of different ways. The wind in John 3, 8. It's the same word as spirit when it refers to the Holy Spirit in John 3, 5. You have the, the word referencing the breath of men. You have in 
the immaterial or invisible part of man, our human spirit. You have the disembodied spirits, or when we die, what goes to the afterlife, our spirit. The resurrection body is a spiritual body. The sentient, the sentient element in man that by which he perceives, reflects, feels, and desires our spirit. And there it is equated to our mind or our feelings, our emotions. You also have the term used to reference our purpose or our aim. And kind of an attitude, if you will, the equivalent of the personal pronoun used for emphasis and effect. Um, you have moral qualities and activities, bad, such as bondage or slaves, spirit of bondage or the spirit of stupor, Romans 11, 8, Romans 11, 8, or timidity, or the uh, adoption, the spirit of adoption. These are attitudes, the spirit of meekness. It's an attitude. Or the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. And we'll study that in our next lesson. Who is the Holy Spirit in his personality? The inward man, the spiritual man. Uh, you see then that there are a lot of different ways. Unclean spirits are the same word is used in reference to them, Matthew 8, 16. Or angels, Hebrews 1, 14. They are spiritual beings. They're, the word pneuma is used to them as well. So you see all the different usages of the term. Thus, some confusion. We have to look at the context. And it's very important when you talk about this particular word. The definite article has, you know, if it's before the word spirit, the spirit, well, that gives you a cue. It's probably the Holy Spirit. The word is used differently for, you know, the human spirit, the body without the spirit is dead. James 2.26. Or an attitude, such as the attitude of bondage or adoption, Romans 8.15. Or stupor, Romans 8.11. Or antichrist, the spirit of antichrist, 1 John 4, verse 3. You have the spirit of truth in 1 John 4 and verse 6. You have the spirit of meekness, Galatians 6 and verse 1. You see, the, the word is used in different ways. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was promised to the apostles in John 14 and verse 26. In John 14, the, the Lord is preparing His disciples for His death the next day. This, beginning in John 13, is the last night of Jesus' life. He is assembled with His disciples. It's the night that we, He establishes the Lord's Supper. It's the night that He washes their feet. And it's the night that He prepares them for His death. In verse 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. This is a promise to his apostles. The Holy Spirit is promised in, in John 15, verse 26, just a continuation of the same context, where Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You jump down to chapter 6 and verse 13. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. You know, one of the things that I hear many 
preachers today do, is they'll take these passages and they'll apply them to themselves. They'll say, see, Jesus promised to send me the Holy Spirit. No, he didn't. He promised to send his apostles the Holy Spirit. And he promised that the Holy Spirit would guide them into all truth. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you, the apostles, into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. And we'll talk about that passage more, Lord willing, next Sunday evening. The Holy Spirit empowered the apostles. The Holy Spirit did exactly what Jesus promised in Acts, the second chapter. The Holy Spirit fell upon the apostles on that occasion. This is what we will study later also in reference to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see what happened on the day of Pentecost. This is what Jesus promised in Acts chapter 1 in verses 7 and 8. It is not for you to know, he says, the times and the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that happens in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit falls upon the apostles in verse 2, verses 2 through 4. And they begin to speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit equipped them to proclaim the gospel with miraculous confirmation. And so that people believed their words because the Holy Spirit confirmed them. We see in Acts the 8th chapter also, in Acts chapter 10, and, and on and on throughout the book of Acts, how the apostles were supported by and confirmed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is said to reveal, to have been revealing the words of God to these apostles, which they wrote down, which we talked about a moment ago. And these apostles and prophets were confirmed by God. Hebrews 2 and verse 4. The word, once it's confirmed, doesn't have to be confirmed over and over and over again. It has been confirmed. It is the word of God. Okay. The Bible has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. I'm aware of that. In fact, if we were to study every passage that the Holy Spirit is mentioned, we would, we would be studying the Holy Spirit for a long, long time. For example, just in the Old Testament itself, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 88 times. He's referred to in 23 books out of the 39 books of your Old Testament, often by the Spirit of God. In fact, when's the first time that we read of the Holy Spirit in the Bible? in Genesis chapter 1, isn't it? When God speaks the world into existence, we then see that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, hovers over the waters. The Spirit of God organizes all those things that were made. The Holy Spirit is who organizes everything. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 2. You have... In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit referenced some 264 times. You have 24 of the 27 books specifically reference the Holy Spirit. You have 60 plus references in the Gospels themselves, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And 57 references in the book of Acts. And the miraculous outpouring of the Spirit that was poured out upon the apostles as they preached the gospel, and as they were confirmed by the Holy Spirit in the presence of those who heard, they saw 
the divine confirmation. But also in the life of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, His involvement in the, in the birth of Jesus, right? In Matthew 1 and verse 20. The conception was of the Holy Spirit. Various individuals were filled with the Spirit to make pronouncements at His birth. And prior to His birth, you have Elizabeth and Zacharias, the mother and father of John the Baptist. In Luke 1, 41 and 42, and Luke 1, 67 through 79. You have Simeon, who also testified of Jesus Christ, who saw the infant Jesus presented at the temple. He recognized Him as the Messiah. But it was by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that He was given that information. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit at the baptism of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was baptized by John, He descended in bodily form like a dove, Luke 3, 21 through 22. And you have Him alighting on Him, Matthew 3, 16. You have His presence, the Holy Spirit's presence during the temptation of Jesus. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And after the temptation, He was comforted by the angels, but the Holy Spirit was there with Jesus. Jesus was led by the Spirit. Matthew 4 and verse 1. His power during His ministry. In fact, He had all the power of the Holy Spirit. In, in the power of the Spirit is how he taught in the synagogues. He, gave, he did miracles. He applied Isaiah's prophecy to himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus claimed to cast out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 12 and verse 28. Which, of course, remember the, the Jews said, Oh, that's the power of Beelzebub. There you have the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. They denied the clear manifestation of the power of God in casting out the demons. And they rejected that confirmation. That is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit's involvement in our lives. In us becoming Christians. Listen, the Bible is very clear about this. The Holy Spirit is involved in our salvation. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. In John 16, 7 and 8... Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will convict men of their sins. He does. The question is not, does He do it? The question is, how does He do it? And we'll talk about that more. But we are convicted of our sin by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is involved in our regeneration. John 3, 5-8. through 8. We're born of water and the Spirit. In fact, if you will compare that to other passages, such as Titus 3 and verses 5 and 6... Washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Water and Spirit. There you have it again. You have also being renewed by the Holy Spirit. Well, there's Titus 3, 4 through 6. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians, we are guided by, we are led by, we live in the Spirit. Galatians 5, 25. Now, there are some times in which the word, the, the Holy Spirit is used in a metonymy way or sense in which the Holy Spirit is referencing is also inclusive of His teaching. That's important to understand. For example, I believe in Galatians 5 and 25 and, and previous, in fact, go back up to verse 16. The Holy Spirit is working through the gospel to lead us and to guide us. And really the emphasis there is the gospel in contrast to the law. 
And so you have the effect of the law, which does not deliver us from sin, but in fact convicts us of our sin and just digs a deeper and deeper hole for us, whereas the Spirit delivers us through the gospel into life. But we are to live in the Spirit. We are to walk in the Spirit, producing the fruit of the Spirit. We are to set our minds on the things of the Spirit, Romans 8, 5, and 6. And again, there you have the gospel and the law being contrasted. The gospel being given by the Holy Spirit and the Spirit working through the gospel to give us spiritual life. So you have the Holy Spirit being involved in our spiritual lives. That's very clearly taught in the Scripture. And by the Spirit we are to put to death the deeds of the body. As we are being led by the Spirit. How are we led by the Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit lead the child of God? Many people just make, they make assumptions about these things. When the Bible itself reveals the answers. How does the Holy Spirit lead us? Well, I'll say to you it's through the words of the Spirit. But we'll demonstrate that in a later study. The Holy Spirit makes intercession for us in our prayers. Romans 8, 26 and 27. It's not what the Holy Spirit does to us in that text. It's what the Holy Spirit does on our account or for, for us. But it's not something He does to us. It's nothing He's doing in our hearts or minds. He's simply relaying the information. God strengthens us with might through His Spirit, Ephesians 3.16. How does He do that? How does the Bible tell us that He does that? Well, that gets us back to this. To the point, the Holy Spirit is the source of truth. He is the one through whom God has revealed all of His will to us. This will has been recorded. And we have it all. Everything that God has revealed. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29 says, The things that are revealed are for us. The things that are not revealed are not for us. The Holy Spirit has revealed everything that God wants us to know. He's told us everything that God wants us to do. He has told us everything by which we can formulate sound doctrine. We can know what the truth is by what the Holy Spirit has given us. He guided His apostles into all truth. My friend, that doesn't leave any for anyone else. The Holy Spirit has revealed all the truth of God that we can know, that we need to know. And there is no other way to know the truth of God's will except by what the Holy Spirit has given there's no other way. The Holy Spirit has revealed the truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 13, this is a passage that also has often been uh, twisted and, and the truth has been obscured. This passage is talking about inspiration. It's talking about what the Holy Spirit is revealing to the apostles. That's clear from the entirety of the context. But in verse 10 he says, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. This is Paul talking, right? He's an apostle, and the word, the term us, the plural pronoun us, has reference to the other apostles. And so God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows, the things of a man, except the spirit of man which is in him. Can you know what I'm thinking unless I tell you what I'm thinking? No, no, no Denise can. See, I think she's, she knows. She can read my mind. She knows what I'm thinking without me telling her. That's scary, ain't it? Uh, 
in reality, though, it's just because she knows me so well. It's not because she can read my mind. You cannot know what I'm thinking unless I tell you what I'm thinking. Same thing with God. You cannot know what God's thinking unless and until he tells you what he's thinking. And he has told you what he's thinking through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles whom he chose to reveal these things. Notice he says, even no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Who has received the Spirit? The apostles. We have received him. That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. That we might know. How do we know? The Holy Spirit has revealed them. Look at verse 13. These things we also speak. So the Holy Spirit has told us, and we speak those things to you. How do we know what the Holy Spirit has told the apostles? The apostles has told us. How do we know the things of God? The apostles were told by the Spirit the things of God. And the apostles told us. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. The Holy Spirit gave words to the apostles. The apostles in turn gave those words to us. The apostles were God's chosen ones to reveal his words in these last times. Jesus Christ being the one who sent the Spirit. Jesus Christ is the one to whom we must bow and pay heed. The Holy Spirit was sent by him. Going back to John 14, 26, John 15, 26, and John 16, 13. So, we must examine what the Spirit has said about himself. If we want to know the truth about the Holy Spirit, we have to examine what the Scriptures say. When it comes to the person, the nature of the Holy Spirit, there are a lot of different views out there. You have, and this goes all the way back to 300 uh, A.D. You've got the Arians, Arianism, You've got modalism. Those were conflicting views. Arianism was kind of like what the Jehovah Witnesses believe. The Holy Spirit is just an impersonal force. Whereas modalism believes that the Holy Spirit is Jesus and the Father, just a different mode of Jesus and the Father, but not a person. And you have this, these conflicting ideas. Of course, then you also have what the Bible says, Jesus and the Father. And the Holy Spirit, all being divine in nature. The Holy Spirit being a divine person. Many misunderstand the working of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit baptism. What is that? Uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is that? Miraculous gifts. Have they ceased? Indwelling of the Holy Spirit. How does He do that? And how does He lead us? All of these questions people have. Most misunderstanding is not so much what the Holy Spirit does, but how he does it. And we're going to be digging into these things. So let us accept and be satisfied with what the Scriptures say. Let us be satisfied with what the Holy Spirit says about himself. So next lesson we will examine the personality and the nature of the Holy Spirit. We'll... Do some digging into what the Bible, what the Holy Spirit says about himself in these regards. So, thank you for your attention. Maybe there's someone here tonight who needs to respond to the message of the Holy Spirit. And that you need to repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus Christ, and be buried with him in baptism for the remission of your sins by faith in him. 
The Holy Spirit revealed this to us. This is the Holy Spirit's revealed plan of salvation. And again, in fact, a lot of the same people that we've already talked about tonight, they have all different kinds of views of how a person is to be saved. Again, when it comes to what must I do, I need to listen to what the Holy Spirit has said instead of what men say. A lot of times there's a vast difference between those things. So let us submit to the teaching of the Spirit and what inspired men said instead of what folks will tell you today. If you need to come, if there's anything we can do for you tonight, won't you come while together we stand, while we stand.